It's time to ignite your soul and unlock your full potential. Join us on Beneath the Helmet, the podcast exploring firefighters' health and wellness. Hosted by retired fire chief Arjuna George, our podcast is the perfect place to start your journey towards becoming the best version of yourself. So come on, let's join the conversation and find out what sets your soul on fire. All right, welcome back. This is episode number 10. Very excited to do this episode with you all today. Bit of a milestone, double digits, and very excited to be sharing an amazing story with you today. So today I got a very special guest, uh, a friend of mine, a fellow coach, an expert in the field of men's emotional fitness and men's mental health. Today I'm joined with my friend, Mike Cameron. Mike is a two times TEDx speaker, a Canadian author, and an ambassador to men's mental well-being. Mike's story is incredible and illustrates the true power of resilience. In 2015, Mike lost his wife, Colleen, to murder, and he had to dig very deep to heal through this tragic time. In this journey, his true passion and journey now is to help others manage their own stress and well-being. Mike is making a huge impact in our children and adults, especially with his focus on men's mental health. Mike shares several very good nuggets for all the listeners to tap into the inner emotions, how to flex that emotional fitness and soar to resilience. Through Mike's amazing storytelling, he shares the power of the pause. Slow down, open up, accept, and reconnect. This podcast is sponsored by Silver Arrow Coaching Consulting, burnout and resilience coaching for high performers with a focus on firefighters and fire chiefs. To learn more about how Silver Arrow can support you, visit silverarrowco.com. That's silverarrowco.com. My first book, Burnt Around right the Edges, may also be of interest to you. This book is about my journey through burnout and mastering stress. You can get a copy for yourself at burntaroundtheedges.com or on Amazon, Apple, or Google Play. So sit back, relax. Please enjoy this episode with Mike Cameron as he shares his story on how to teach men to be better leaders of self and of others. Until next time, stay well. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We got a very special guest today, a fellow colleague of mine, somebody I went to school with doing my coaching program. And we got Mike Cameron with us today. He's going to share some very important wise wisdom from his own experience, um, but his professional expertise where he is today. So welcome to the show, Mike, and I'd uh, love to hear a little bit about who you are and kind of what brought you to your position today as a TEDx speaker, an author, coach. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic to be here, Arjuna. And uh, yeah, that that that's a big question always, the who are you and how did you get here? Uh, that's one of those things that I continue to try and figure out. But you know, I, I can give you a little bit of, of sort of the Coles notes, and we can we can dive in uh, as as much as you want. I, I've been an entrepreneur, a business owner, um, for I guess over thirty years. I hate acknowledging that because it means that I'm getting a little bit old. You started when you were ten. I've been a sales and leadership guy for thirty years, and had the good fortune to be fairly successful in business. And so I, I started getting asked a fair bit to share what it was that made me successful, which I really enjoyed. I enjoyed the speaking side of the equation. Uh, I talk a lot about the impact that emotion has on human behavior. Uh, again, I started that largely in the context of sales and leadership. 
until 2015. And in 2015, we talk about pivotal moments. I think pivot has been probably the buzzword of the last three years. Everybody has had to learn how to pivot when it comes to doing business and doing life in general with respect to COVID. But for me, my big sort of pivotal moment came in October of 2015. My girlfriend, Colleen, had spent the night at my place on October 1st, and she was a yoga instructor and as a result often had early morning classes. So that Friday morning, alarm went off at five o'clock. She got up, got dressed, came around to my side of the bed and gave me a kiss, said goodbye. And I said, have fun at yoga and rolled over and went back to sleep. And those were the last four words that I said to her. Uh, On her way to yoga, she was ambushed and shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life. And I was fortunate to have a lot of friends and family around me at that time to support me. And I had a lot of folks that know as a business guy, I'm a guy that gets shit done and, and doesn't sit idly by. And I had a lot of folks that wanted me to go after the justice system, which had certainly let her down. She'd done all the right things, filed all the right paperwork, had the restraining order, all of those kinds of things. But of course, that doesn't stop somebody that's determined. And at that time, I just thought the question, how do we build a better restraining order is probably the wrong question. And maybe we should be asking the question, how do we prevent men from getting to that point in the first place? And so I really started to look at what I have done over the last say 30 years with respect to the impact that emotion has on behavior in the context of sales and leadership and recognize that all of that is applicable when it comes to men, our mental health, our emotional fitness, our resilience, our well-being, and how little we tend to pay attention to that. This was a man that made a decision based on a very temporary emotion that had very permanent consequences. And subsequently, I wrote a book, I gave a couple of TEDx's. And this is primarily I sold the business that I built over 16 years in 2019, I sold that business to really dive in and focus on men's mental health. And how do we create more resilience in our men? So the shortened version of how I got here. Such a powerful story. I've heard your story of this tragic day several times, and every time it gives me goosebumps and my hair stands up. But what really stands out for me is how strong of a person you become and pivoted from this incident and made the best out of it you possibly could, which is helping and supporting, hopefully, men in the future to not be go down this road. Yeah, absolutely. And I use the term emotional fitness, and we touched on this a little bit. When we talk about mental health, one of the reasons I don't love the term mental health, and in particular when it comes to men, and I know your audience is a lot of firefighters, and I know a lot of first responders and men, and our vocabulary when it comes to mental health is typically six words. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. And that's the extent of it. But when we think in terms of fitness, 
I think we can more readily accept that fitness is a spectrum. And there are times in my life where I'm very fit. And there are other times in my life where I've let myself go a little bit and I'm not as fit as I'd like to be. So just, I think, shifting that, that mindset from mental health to emotional or mental fitness is a really powerful shift. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, mental health, unfortunately, has that stigma against it that it's mental health means you have bad health, bad mental health. Like when yeah, I picture it's, it's mental binary. health, either we're yeah. good or we're not. Exactly. And the truth is, it's not binary. It's a spectrum. And again, understanding that it is a spectrum and that on any given day, my hope is that most of your listeners aren't so far emotionally disconnected that they're going to take their life or the life of someone else. But most of us are not as emotionally connected to self and others as we could be. And again, in particular for us men, we, we pride ourselves on this emotional disconnection, this stoicism, burying, suppressing, or avoiding any feelings. And the truth of the matter is that just does not work. And I think in the fire service world and probably other first responder worlds, we're trained to disassociate from emotion. But the key is, and that's the issue I feel, the key is to some, at some point, you have to feel that emotion. You have to have that released. You have to process it. But we're trained to disassociate from the trauma that we see day to day going to calls, which is very important because we need to operate at a high standard. We need to be professional. We need to get the job done. But the weak link is the time that we don't process that trauma after the fact. Absolutely. Or, That's a temporary issue. Absolutely. In the times of crisis, in the times of emergency, sometimes you do have to bury or avoid some of those crippling or potentially crippling emotions that come up and move through them. But by the same token, you're right. You have to come back to that and find a way to express that in a manner that's healthy and, and appropriate. And for most of us, again, I speak specifically around men, the way we think about strength is usually misguided. For me, you said, you talked about my strength moving through this. And really the strength for me was having the courage to sit with the feelings that came up with that loss and really lean into them, learn from them, not bury them, not avoid them, not suppress them, not remain stoic in the face of them, but to actually let them come up. Again, there's points in time where you need to bury them for the moment because it's not appropriate. I'm in a business meeting. I probably don't want to break down and crying because something reminded me of a moment. But the flip side of that is, is also there's been times where I've been in business meetings where things have come up and I've just acknowledged that to whoever I'm with. Look, sorry, just give me a moment to pause because that's brought up some things for me. And most people obviously know my story. And because my story is so extreme, I think it's more acceptable to give me that moment. But it's also important to recognize, and certainly with first responders, the trauma that you experience is also extreme. But trauma isn't always extreme. Like it can be subtle little things, the loss of a job, the loss of a friend, an argument with a partner, a spouse, whatever. All of these things cause emotions to come up. 
and just acknowledging that I think is critical. So when it comes to yourself, acknowledging your own emotions, what are some tips that you've learned over the years that maybe some of our listeners could embrace yep. in their well, own practice? Yeah. So for me, the thing that really shifted my perspective or changed my life, and again, it was moment in time and the right message at the right time. A friend of mine who is a yogi out of, out of Montreal, when he heard what had happened to Colleen, it was actually the day after she had been killed, he sent me a link to Ramdas's letter to Rachel. And I don't know if you're familiar with Ramdas. Ramdas was an American spiritual leader from the 1970s. He wrote a letter. Rachel was a young girl who had been brutally murdered. He wrote a letter to her parents. And Eric, my friend, said, I've read this letter dozens of times. I found it extremely helpful. It, I thought it might be helpful for you. And Arjuna, I got to tell you, man, that letter absolutely changed my life. It's very short, maybe five paragraphs. I would highly encourage all of your listeners to go Google Ramdas' letter to Rachel and read it in its entirety. But there were three pieces out of it that really struck me. When I read it, he says, is anyone strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you're receiving? Probably very few. And when I read that, and I just thought about you know, the opportunity for me to remain conscious through the experience that I was having versus throwing myself into work, diving into a bottle, doing any number of other things to distract. So that was the first one. And the second, he said, our rational minds will never understand, but our hearts, if we keep them open, will find their own intuitive way. And I can't tell you how many times I asked that question. Why did this happen? And as you can imagine, like there is no rational answer to why would somebody do that? Why would somebody take somebody's life and their own? Why, why? There is no rational answer. And that could have kept me stuck if I kept searching for the why. So learning just our hearts, if we keep them open rather than shutting them down, which can be a tendency, will find their own intuitive way. And the last piece of that letter, and probably the most powerful, he said, now is the time to let your grief find expression, no false strength. And again, when we come back to us as men, we can often think that burying, hiding, or suppressing our grief is strength. True strength is not about suppressing it. Now is the time to let your grief find expression, no false strength. And for me, it was about finding ways to let that grief find expression. And some days that was just collapsing on the kitchen floor, curled up into a little ball and crying like a baby. Other times it was giving a TED talk, finding ways to allow my grief to find expression. And I think that was incredibly powerful. So finding those ways to do that allowed me, and ha again, having that courage, is anyone strong enough to remain conscious through such teachings as you're receiving? So being strong enough to remain conscious through the struggles, whatever they may be. Again, mine was extreme. Not everybody's is going to be that extreme. Doesn't mean it's any less difficult. 
And that's the beautiful thing. And I often have people come up to me after I give a talk and I share my story and they usually preface whatever they're going to say was what I went through is nothing compared to what you went through. And, and, you know, I'll usually stop them and just remind them that, you know, all of our struggles are different. We don't have to compare struggles. The beautiful thing is we don't have to struggle alone. And my struggle is no more valid or important than your struggle. We don't need to compare them. We just need to recognize that we don't need to struggle alone. That's the beauty of this. That is really the beauty of this. It's beautiful. I can imagine in the fire service, not from, I could share my own stories, but I imagine the fire service, most firefighters are probably not willing to share that kind of information because it makes them look vulnerable. That makes them look weak in their thought pattern. Right. In the fire service, we have a kind of an acronym. That's not an acronym, a story about having a backpack full of rocks on day one, you might come as a recruit firefighter and have 20 small rocks in your back from maybe your mom passing away, losing that job, maybe failing the test. Like it could be even a pebble size. It doesn't have to be a boulder. Yeah. But then as you go through your fire service career, you keep adding these boulders and these rocks. And sooner or later, you're going to fall backwards and fall to the ground if you don't start dealing with some of those rocks. Yeah. So same kind of concept is everyone's, it could be a minor incident that tips somebody over to a crisis versus a big extreme event, such as a murder or somebody getting fatally killed. It could be a small event that tips that person over into crisis mode. Yes, absolutely. Again, we just, and that's the thing is starting to empty out some of those rocks before that backpack gets so full that we fall backwards and just recognizing that you're not the only one carrying that backpack. Like that in its, in and of itself is incredibly powerful. When we start to have these conversations and we realize that, Oh shit, you got a backpack on too. I thought I was the only one. How heavy is yours? Cause mine's feeling really freaking heavy right now. And so, you know what, here, let me take a couple of rocks out of your pack and then you can do the same for me. I like that. And, and that, again, I run a men's group called Connected Men and a circle, a small circle of eight to 12 guys. And we get together every couple of weeks and we essentially allow each other to pull the rocks out of each other's backpack. We use the analogy of the bucket and all the shit that we're carrying around in our bucket. And we just never empty that bucket. So that that is a place where we can start to empty that bucket and Again, once you realize or recognize, acknowledge that everybody is carrying around that backpack and there's no shame in having that backpack. And the more you acknowledge and share the fact that you're carrying that backpack around, the lighter it's going to get faster. And oh man, like the, the weight that gets removed, it is so incredibly powerful when you can start to share and be vulnerable. Brene Brown talks about vulnerability being the core of all emotion. And I touched on as human beings, we make decisions based on emotion. And I know we like to think that we're rational beings, but the truth is we're not thinking beings who feel, we're feeling beings that think. My first job 
when I was 18, my first real job, if you can call it that, I bagged shit for a living. I literally bagged steer manure for a garden supply wholesale company when I was 18 years old. And eventually I worked my way up in the company. I got up into the warehouse, I drove a truck, eventually I got into sales. And when I had to start selling that, that steer manure, what I recognized was nobody buys a bag of steer manure because they want to own a bag of shit. They buy that bag of steer manure because they want that feeling they're going to get when they grow that beautiful vegetable garden or that beautiful rose bush. People don't buy the thing, they buy the feeling they think the thing is going to give them. And as I started to go down that road in my career, in, in my sales career, I started doing a lot more research. I found guys like Dr. Antonio Damasio, who talks about emotion is the edifice upon which reason is built. So emotion is the foundation that rational thought is built upon. And if we don't understand the underlying emotions that drive those decisions that we make, we have zero chance of living a fully awakened and purposeful existence. And so the more vulnerable we can get outwardly, the more we can start to tap into those inner emotions and we can start to understand them. Eckhart Tolle talks about with awareness comes choice. So once we can start to recognize those emotions and go deeper. And again, for most of us guys, that only acceptable emotion is anger. So often a lot of sadness, grief gets manifested as anger. But when then when we can start to peel those layers back and say, okay, what is that really? Okay, maybe there's a little hurt in there. Maybe there's a little sadness. Maybe there's in our men's group, we talk about this jumble of yarn, right? Like when a guy says, I feel like shit. Okay, what is that? Because feeling shitty isn't really a feeling. It's this, typically it's this jumble of things. So let's start to pull at those threads and pull out one. Okay, what's one? Anger. I'm fucking pissed. Okay, got it. There's one. Let's explore that a little bit. Pull another thread. What's that? You know what? There's some disappointment in there. I'm really disappointed that X, Y, and Z didn't happen. So how does that disappointment make you feel? Maybe there's some sadness in there. And again, pulling out those threads and starting to explore. And when you realize that anger isn't really what's driving this, anger is the manifestation of everything else underneath because I know how to deal with anger. I don't know how to deal with hurt. I don't know how to deal with sadness. I don't know how to deal with disappointment, but I don't know how to deal with anger. So let's just run with that. It's funny you say that because for me personally, I didn't know how to deal with anger. Ironically, mm. I bottled it up and just kept it to myself. I never let any of my anger process and flush out of my system, which led to my burnout, which led to a lot of other health issues that I've been struggling through to now that I understand that I've been holding in that frustration, that anger, that rage without ever knowing how to express it. And as a child, I was never taught how to express my anger. The only anger, just like you said, was throwing fists or yelling. That's the only right. anger. That's what I thought anger was throwing fists or yelling. But how do you process anger without doing all that? I was never taught it. I was never taught right. it. So in my own journey in the last few years, I've understood emotions much clearer and anger was definitely one that I 
recognized. And I didn't even know that until I wrote my book about my journey and anger was a huge component of that. So it's interesting. Yeah. You'd asked about tools and how to manage that stuff. So you touched on it. Writing for me is a powerful one. And you know, when I wrote my book, it originally, it, I started writing before Colleen was killed, but it changed obviously after, after that. But for me, I don't write to document my thoughts. I write to discover my thoughts. And so when I'm at my best, I'm sitting down every morning and spending at least a few minutes just throwing up on the page and seeing what comes out. It's this discovery process. And even trying to write down, what am I feeling right now? And again, that's part of what we do with our men's group. I, I joke and I say, because people ask me, what do you do? A bunch of guys, we get together and we literally practice feeling. That's it. We're not there to fix anything. We're there to create a space where we can practice feeling. It sounds kind of silly, but any other skill we want to get good at, if you want to become a good hockey player, you practice a lot of hockey. If you want to begin, no matter what it is, you want to be good at something, you practice it. And, you know, the time to practice hockey isn't at the Stanley Cup finals, right? You've got to practice before you get there. Same holds true with our emotional fitness. The time to practice isn't when life throws you some kind of crisis, like in my case, the time to practice, and you talked about resilience before, is when I talk about practice in the calm for the coming of the storm, because we know the storm is coming. We don't know what it's going to be. We don't know when it's going to happen. But if life has taught us anything, we know it's coming sometime, man. It's about practicing in the times when things are good and putting yourself maybe in those, again, I run ultra marathons, so I run stupid long distances. I run 100 mile ultra marathons in the mountains. And for me, that's why I do that, because it's this controlled adversity that I put myself in. I know the course directors, I might have to pay for it, but there's a rescue helicopter out there somewhere if I really need it. I know there's some protection there, but at the same time, I put myself in extremely difficult conditions that I have to practice getting through. And honestly, Arjuna, I think a lot of that type of thing relates to life. So when life throws you a curveball, if you've practiced that resilience piece, and that could be as simple as somebody cuts you off in traffic, practice noticing, okay, yeah, that pissed me off. Okay, what do I want to do with that? And just taking that breath, taking that pause, and just waiting. Do you have any strategies that kind of comes to mind through my somatic work and coaching? What I'm finding is people really don't have a sense of how they feel within their body. They don't have a sense of what hurts, what doesn't hurt, where does my body feel good, which is part and parcel of the whole holistic body, the well-being. Yeah. So how do people, uh, any thoughts on how people can be a little bit more internal and feel more? So how you can get in tune with your physical and mental, just how you yeah, can be more So into. I would suggest that for most guys, especially, I think we're probably better in tune with our physical being. So start there. So just getting intentional. And so I'm going to come back to that. Let's talk about that SOAR acronym that I mentioned earlier to you off air. 
so for me, SOAR is the acronym I use when I run my men's groups, when I work with the guys. And SOAR, S-O-A-R, stands for slow down, open up, accept, and reconnect. So that slow down is just taking that pause. So let's have your listeners do it right now. Just take a breath, take a pause, 30 seconds. Slow down. Just let go of everything outside these four walls. Just get clear, get present. And then the open up piece, the O, could be twofold. First, it's open up to self. So just allow whatever is coming up inside of you to just come up. Just open yourself up to whatever's there. No judgment, just whatever's there. And then that acceptance piece, again, just accepting it, not judging it. It's not good, it's not bad, it just is. And then once we do that, then we can start to reconnect with that inner part of self. And the evolution of that open up is opening up to somebody else. So opening up to you, if you and I were having a session or if I'm sitting in my men's group, being able to open up to the guys and just saying, for example, our men's group, that's exactly how we start. So we start, we do a five minute meditation and we just let everybody slow down, get present. And then we do a check-in and we start with, what are you feeling physically? So my jaw's a little bit tight. Noticing I got some tension in my back. My legs, my quads are a little sore. And then emotionally, what's coming up? I'm feeling a little excited. I get to share with Arjuna. A little bit of anxiety. I'm a little nervous. I don't want to fuck this up. Never. There's a little bit of that coming up. But it is what it is. So, again, just creating space where you can get intentional about doing that. And so maybe that's every morning. Maybe that's every night. Maybe that's on your drive into work. And just getting intentional about noticing things. One of the one of the things, Colleen was an artist. She's a painter, a potter, a photographer, a videographer. And she had a real knack for just observing things in nature. She used to point out things to me that I just never noticed before. The sound of a bird sitting in the tree or that kind of thing. So that became sort of my practice is noticing things, noticing the name of the clerk that's, that checked you out at the grocery store. So it's all interconnected. So I think practicing the power of observation everywhere you can, and then bringing that back to internally. And again, that's the, that sort of quasi road rage thing that I talked about. Somebody cuts you off in tra traffic you're likely going to react to that. So don't judge that. Get curious. Huh? Look at that guy cut me off. Okay. What's coming up? I feel my fists on the steering wheel getting tight. My jaws getting tight. My heart's beating a little faster. So what's the emotion that comes with that? Just noticing that starting to label it. Dr. Lisa Barrett Feldman talks about, she wrote a book called How Emotions Are Made. She talks about emotional granularity. Dan Siegel talks about, you got to name it to tame it. So the more granular we can be with identifying what's coming up for us, 
the more we have power over that, the more it's going to dissipate, the more we can decide what to do with it. So that's why I challenge guys when oh, I'm feeling really shitty. Okay, what does shitty feel like? Let's break that down. Let's start pulling out those balls, those pieces of thread in that giant ball. Because the more you can do that, the less power those emotions are going to have over you, the more you're going to be in control. Doesn't mean they go away. It just means that you recognize them for what they are. Emotions are just information. We get to decide what to do with them. But we only get to decide if we know they're there. And the funny thing is everyone has emotions. Yep. It's not like some people don't. Everyone has emotions. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's probably going to be some challenges in the future in the next generation of men, but maybe men and females, but men in general about diversity. So you talked about your 100-kilometer runs. You're facing adversity. You're pressing your system to the max. You're testing yourself. I have a strange feeling that our next generation of males might be lacking that skill. Do you, would you agree with that or is that am I off base? Yeah, I definitely think there is this societally, there's a want for certainty. There's a want for comfort and our technology advances. We've got the ability to be more comfortable. We've got the ability to have less adversity. So yeah, potentially we become less resilient and we don't know how to face these things. So again, this is where for me, it's ultra marathons. That's how I, I place myself in situations of adversity so I can practice. I couple that with the fact that I love being out in the mountains. I love being in nature. So it's a win-win for me, but yeah, I do think there's the potential for that. So it's really about shifting that perspective to when adversity strikes, looking at that as an opportunity versus an adversity embrace okay this thing just hit me in the face what can i learn from this because there's something there for me again it's that sort of truism of the changing that language from why is this happening to me to how is this happening for me and being able to just shift that mindset i love the be do have paradigm so in that, I don't know if you've talked about this before on your show, but in, the, in that be, do, have paradigm, there's the three archetypes, the winner, the worker, and the victim. And the victim says, when I have, then I can do, therefore I can become or be. The worker says, when I do, then I will have, and then I can ultimately become. Whereas the winner shifts that to, who do I need to be? in order to do the things I need to do so that I can ultimately have the life that I want to have. And for most of my life, I was the worker. I took a great deal of pride in being able to work, 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 do, do, do. And it was always, when I do this, then I will that. And, you know, it started with my divorce and really culminated when Colleen was killed to shift that what I do doesn't really matter. And that gave me, again, back to the, you were asking about tools before, a friend of mine, a leadership guy, a fellow by the name of Drew Dudley, he wrote, this is day one, a practical guide to leadership that matters. Drew shared with me a question that, that he uses, and that is, what would the man I want to be do in this situation? And for me, that was powerful. When I look at my children, uh, certainly when they were younger, I didn't always handle things as well as I would have liked to. I was reactive. They make, kids make you mad. It happens. 
but when I was able to preface my reaction with, okay, what would the man I want to be do in this situation? So my son pisses me off and I think, okay, what would the man I want to be do? Okay, I want to be kind. I want to be compassionate. I want to be a role model for my son. So what would I do? I wouldn't yell at him. I wouldn't scream at him. I would take a pause. I would find a way to teach him the lesson that he needs to be taught in a kind, caring, compassionate manner. Versus my first reaction is to scream at him and say, what the hell are you thinking, man? So again, for me, that question is just so powerful in any circumstance. And when you say that, it really resonates with me on the power of coaching. Because really mm. in coaching, you're envisioning, you're working towards your best self, right? How has coaching going through the program at Roller Roads changed your mindset on things about resilience, stress, people, emotions, anything there? Yeah, I don't know that it changed anything for me. I think it really affirmed a lot of things for me. I'd been doing that work for a lot of years prior to enrolling in that course. And I always kind of wondered, am I doing it right? Are there things I'm not doing that I should be doing? And I think what it did for me was really affirm a lot of what I was already doing. Obviously, listening to everybody else's perspectives and methodologies and teachings, there are little bits and pieces you grab and intermix with your own to come up with your own unique style. So, you know, there, there's always value in that. But, you know, again, I think when it comes to resilience, the key is to not be that victim and understand that shit happens. There's often nothing you can do about it. So rather than getting angry with the thing happening, just accepting that the thing happened and look for lessons. My partner, she gets frustrated with me sometimes because I say this all the time. So let's say you lose your phone. You're angry because you've lost your phone. You made a stupid mistake. You left it on the hood of your car. You did whatever it was. So you've lost your phone. So now you're pissed off. So in that case, I would say to her, okay, you've got two options. You can have a lost phone and you can be pissed off or you can just have a lost phone. What would you prefer? And so she'll usually at that point say, fuck you. Well, I don't need to hear that right now. Recently, I left my $400 reading glasses on top of my car, drove away and I was like, they're gone. I can't do anything about it. Obviously you're going to have an emotional reaction to that. But again, you've got the choice. Once you recognize that, you've got the choice. Okay, do I hang on to that? So again, I've got the lost glasses. That's, I can't change that. Yep, 100%. But the, can I be mopey, angry, sad, annoyed, have it impact the rest of my day, the rest of my week because I lost them? That I've got control over. So yeah, you, you can have the lost glasses and be grumpy, miserable about it, or you can just have the lost glasses. Yep. It's your choice. Love it. Love it. So as we come to a close, what would be one golden nugget that you think men listening to this, men or women, but I know your focus is with men's health and men's fitness. What would be one golden nugget that you'd like to share with the listeners on how to be that much more resilient, how to manage our emotions, whatever you feel is important to share? Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me, if I were to give sort of one takeaway, is just to learn to practice that pause. Just slow down, take a breath. We often think that we're so busy that oh, I got to rush, rush, rush. But I can guarantee you, 
taking 60 seconds out of your day isn't going to kill anyone, but in fact, it could save a life. I, again, my partner now, Michelle and I have been together six years and I started doing this at the beginning of our relationship because she was very prompt, go, 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 go. And so one of the things that I did as a practice was if we were going out for dinner, we had a reservation at seven o'clock, we'd pull up at 6.59 or even 7.01. And her inclination was to hop out of the car to get in. And I'd say, hang on. I said, we're going to put 60 seconds on the timer, like literally put 60 seconds on the timer. And we're just going to sit here for 60 seconds. And it drove her nuts. But it was such a powerful practice. Just learning to take that pause because it reframes everything. And it, I don't know, it just, it blows my mind how different things can look in 60 seconds. How did that change for her or both of yours interaction for the rest of the evening? One thing, it just makes you get clear and present. So you're not worried about the reservation. You're not worried about getting home to the kids. You're not worried about this. You just learn to be in the moment. And that is so powerful. And then observing. So what even, again, what's the anxiety that's coming up for me now in this moment as we sit here and watch the clock count down for 60 seconds? But it's just one more way of getting intentional about practicing that power of presence, practicing that power of observation. So if there were one thing to focus on, it's practicing the pause for sure. Love that. Yeah, that was something I identified in my own kind of journey and well-being is that I was never in the moment. I was never mm-hmm. present. Physically, maybe my body was here, but my mind was always thinking about work, what fire I had to put out, what I had to do tomorrow, next day. And I missed a lot of very key, important parts of my life that I wish I could pull back, but no regrets. It's made me who I am today and where I am today. But I do wish I was more present through my life. So that's my mission moving forward. So thanks for sharing that. No, my pleasure. Like I said, when you can implement those practices, you know, some of this stuff is so ethereal and it's hard to wrap your mind around. So that's where I look for those pragmatic, what can I actually do? So that'd be my challenge for all your listeners. The next time you pull up to an appointment, a dinner reservation, anything, set that timer for 60 seconds and just let it count down and be present for that 60 seconds as best you can. Would you consider that the same as mindfulness? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That is a form of mindfulness. It's just about being mindful of what's going on in the here and the now, creating the space to do that. And I think most of us are afraid to create the space to do that because usually we're rushing being busy because we don't want to have time alone with our thoughts, time alone with our feelings. The busier we are, the less we have to deal with that shit. There can be all kinds of different addictions, obsessions, whether that's drugs, alcohol, it could be cleaning your kitchen. It could be video games. It could be anything to distract from actually just sitting down and being present in the moment. I think you hit the nail on the head there of basically being so busy that you can't feel. I think that's what we do every day. Like the people who are struggling, we are not giving ourselves 
time to just be with ourselves, feel. And what people are doing is just running around with a chicken with a head cut off and the rat race of checking your cell phone and you're sitting at a dinner table and instead of talking or even just being with yourself, you're scrolling through Facebook. Yeah. We don't even have time with ourselves in the bathroom anymore because no, we're scrolling exactly. through things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mike, it's been an honor. The moment I met you, I knew you were a true leader and a very compassionate person. And I really, truly blessed to have met you through Royal Roads and still connected with you today. So I really appreciate the work you're doing, especially with men, bringing emotions to the forefront. I think you're doing some powerful and very important work. So really appreciate that and couldn't thank you enough for being here today. How can oh, my pleasure. How can people learn more about Mike? Um, probably the website is the best, mikecameron.ca. And I, I am always open for conversation. So yeah, mikecameron.ca, there's a little widget on there if people want to connect or send a note. I'm pretty good at responding. Awesome. And you do the personal touches with the videos and you're all over it. Yes, yes, yes that's right. I love it, I love it. Any closing thoughts? No, just thanks a ton for having me on and yeah, again, just that power of the pause, man. It's so incredible. Love and yeah, I love the backpack analogy. So yeah, dump out some of those rocks. Maybe that's a question your listeners can answer themselves every single day. At the end of the day, when you hop in bed, what have you done today to remove a rock from your backpack? Oof, I love that. Love it. And it can be a small rock. It doesn't have to be a yeah. boulder. Yep. Nope. Yep. Yep. Love Not that. at all. All right, buddy. All the best to you. And thank you so much. And thanks everyone for listening. Stay well. Thank you for tuning in to Beneath the Helmet. We hope that this podcast has provided you with valuable insights into the world of firefighters' health and wellness. Remember, caring for your physical, mental, and spiritual well-being is crucial to achieving optimal performance. Join us next time on Beneath the Helmet for more inspiring conversations. Until then, stay well.